Tonight's New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Well, for uh, last week and this week, we are having an opportunity to hear from our uh, seminary interns. Last week, John Kate preached. And uh, this week, we're going to hear from Matt Miller. I'm going to ask Matt to, to come on up. Uh, Matt has been on our staff now for, Matt, how long has it been? Three and a half years? It feels longer, in the best way. In the, in the best way it does. Uh, you know, Matt married Elizabeth last year, who's a member of our church. Um, and Matt, there's so many things I could give thanks for, for this brother. Um, come on close. Um, and that is, that one, he's my assistant, and so uh, helps me often uh, keep my life together. But one of the things that I so appreciate about Matt is um, Matt is one of the most earnest guys I know, uh, outside of just having lots of gifts, uh, earnest to grow, earnest about God's kingdom, earnest to learn. And I'm so grateful for that. Mike has been spending time with both our seminary interns, hanging out with them, uh, teaching them all his wisdom. It'll go on for years, Mike, because you have so much to give. But we're so glad for you to be here, brother. And can I pray for you? Please. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to sit under Matt's teaching right now. Thank you for the time he spent with you. And we pray that you would feed our hungry souls. In Christ's name, amen. Hello, everyone. I am nervous. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here speaking. I never dreamed I would be here, uh, up here speaking and preaching. So thank you for this opportunity and your encouragement and your prayers. Um, if you're here, you probably either have a cold, are recovering from a cold, or are about to get a cold. Um, I am recovering, so bear with me as I cough and do all that kind of stuff up here. You can say amen or preach on or something like that every time I take a drink of water or something. All right. So I'm excited to preach on this passage from Luke. Um, it kind of comes at a time when we're in a reflective mood about 2015, about the past year. Um, if you're like me, every time I'm filling out paperwork in January, when you get to the bottom and you sign your name, and then there's the date. And I usually get it wrong, so I have to scribble it out and write the new year, but um, for about three seconds, I go, oh my goodness, 
it's 2016. And I have about three seconds of reflection on the past year, and then I go on with my uh, whatever I'm doing. Um, so we've just made it through the holiday season. John Kate preached an awesome sermon uh, from Genesis about Noah and his family getting off the ark um, and having a fresh start. And tonight we're going to see from Luke 17 um, how it helps us look back and look forward. Uh, so I hope you uh, will follow me as I do this. Uh, in the passage we just read in Luke 17, we read about an encounter with Jesus and ten lepers uh, who are disconnected from community and are complete outcasts. From reading this story, we're going to be looking at the theme of gratitude. And in particular, I want to unpack the title of my sermon, Gospel Gratitude. And if you haven't heard the word gospel before, um, what that means is good news. The gospel means good news. Uh, and more specifically, the good news of God's redeeming love for undeserving sinners through Jesus Christ that's written about in the Bible. And what I mean by gospel gratitude is recognizing the mercies of God in our daily lives. It's recognizing the mercies of God in our daily lives. Gospel gratitude transcends our culture, our city, transcends disease and suffering and even our worst years. It also transforms the way we respond to the good things that we receive in this life. So if you think back on this year and, you, and you're thinking, God, thank you for the countless blessings you've given me. Uh, maybe you uh, got married or you recovered from an illness. Um, these are good things. Or maybe you think back on the year and you think, man, that was just suffering. All I did was suffer. Um, God, have you really been good to me? I feel like I've pulled myself through this year. I feel like I deserve more than this. Maybe that's you. Maybe you look back uh, and you just struggled, and that's okay. It's easy to have a negative lens on our past year and even our year to come. It's, it's something we all do. And in this passage, we're going to see how gratitude applies to all of us no matter the type of year we just had or the one we're about to have, and by about to have, the one we're in. Um, so the Bible often shows us two types of people giving gratitude to God. The first is giving gratitude in the midst of suffering, like Job. And the second is gratitude when God miraculously heals or protects someone. The lone Samaritan's response towards Jesus' gratitude is what we're looking at tonight. So first I want to lay out quickly what the definition of gratitude means. Uh, the dictionary defines gratitude as a readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. So right there we know that gratitude is more than just simply saying thank you for a kind act. Gratitude is actually a posture you take towards life. It's returning appreciation when you receive kindness. Gratitude is expressed to the giver of the good thing you have received. The New York Times had an article about gratitude from 2011, and in it it describes the Thanksgiving holiday as the most psychologically correct holiday of the year. I don't know, I don't know about you, I've had this joke written here for like three weeks, so I'm going to try and pull it off. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I don't think 
Staying with my in-laws for five days over the holidays is psychologically correct. <laughs> but I just spent a week with my new in-laws over Christmas, and for the record, I had an awesome time, and I can't wait to come back, because they're going to be listening to this. Um, it was a great time, though, honestly. So the author says that cultivating an attitude of gratitude has been linked to better health, sounder sleep, less anxiety and depression, higher long-term satisfaction with life, and kinder behavior towards others, including romantic partners. So maybe some of you are thinking, I would love to be free of depression or sleep better, but I don't think I can flip a switch and just have an attitude of gratitude all the time. Maybe you aren't experiencing a profound amount of gratitude as the year winds down. Maybe you feel like this past year should have been better. That's okay. That's actually the way we go about our lives naturally. It's our natural disposition. It's so easy to be ungrateful, isn't it? It's easy to whine or to vent. We have no problems finding something to complain about, but even though ingratitude is easy, it's a deadly way to go through life. Ever since Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden to decide that what they had in the garden wasn't enough, humans have never been the same. Sin entered the world, and in a sense, everything became diseased with ingratitude. We might think about the sin of Adam and Eve as being the sin of ingratitude towards God, of thinking that what God had given them was not enough. Apart from Jesus, humans would be left to a life of ingratitude, a life of complaints about a world that doesn't always go the way we want it to. And in the Bible, we see Israel and so many other examples. But this one, Israel's in the wilderness. God has rescued them from literal slavery uh, from Egypt. And they're in the wilderness, so he gives them manna, which is this bread from heaven that has all the nutrients they need for the day. And they have that every day um, without fail. But at one point, they want something different. They want some meat for a change. They just want some meat. And they're, they're tired of the bread. They start complaining. And they cry out and accuse God, the one who rescued them from slavery and starvation. They accuse him of being unloving. But God knew his people would be destined to live a life of ingratitude without something drastic happening. So Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into the world to give us new life. This is why Christians celebrate Christmas. Anne Voskamp uh, writes in her book called A Thousand Gifts. If our fall was because of ingratitude, then salvation must be intimately related to the giving of thanks. How else do we accept his free gift of salvation if not with thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the evidence of our acceptance of whatever he gives. Thanksgiving is the manifestation of our yes to his grace. Faith in Jesus cannot be separated from thanks. Amen. Thank you, amen. So this good news leads to a profoundly different understanding of gratitude. To praise Jesus for his coming into the world is to demonstrate gospel gratitude. Gratitude transformed by grace and faith and directed to God. 
Unlike the practices the New York Times author lays out for experiencing the positive effects of an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude will never ultimately heal or fulfill our brokenness. Someday the things we can point to now, like an accomplishment at work, or like a really good sermon at church, um, a new house, a new relationship, um, that's going to fail us at some point. We won't, we'll run out of things to be thankful for. At some point, we may not know who we should thank. If it's not God, it will ultimately be some type of idol, like our talents, our job, or something else. Our selfishness and neediness apart, apart from God is so strong that in time, our true self will emerge. And we'll forget that God is the giver of all gifts. We start to feel like we've earned a right to receive good things and a place in heaven even. We pat ourselves on the back a little bit more often or attribute the good things to our doctors or a boss or our spouse. But Jesus wants us to correct. He wants to correct these misunderstandings about gratitude. I got to keep this water right here. So I want us to see, these are my two points, how the gospel transforms gratitude, and two, how gospel gratitude transforms our lives. Again, it's how the gospel transformed gratitude, and how gospel gratitude transforms our lives. So I want to give you an overview of Luke 17. We're in the passage. In Luke 17, we come to a point in Luke's, what people call, traveling gospel, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Everything in Luke, if you read it, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, that's where the fulfillment of God is manifested in Jesus on the cross. Luke's gospel is all about response to Jesus and proper identification of him and his purpose. In other words, salvation through Jesus. Throughout his Gospels, the disciples that Jesus travels with are repeatedly terrible examples of faithfulness. So Luke includes all these stories about uh, tax collectors, lepers, toll collectors, outsiders. The common thread linking these outsiders together is that their realization that they need help. They are not so self-absorbed that they are unable to see the fault in their own hearts or their dependence on God. So let's read Luke 17, starting at 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I want to hold here for a second. The lepers are standing at a lawfully acceptable distance. And they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And sometimes it's easy to gloss over parts of the Bible that we sort of attribute to um, not having much significance to us today. I do that with leprosy. Whenever there's a story about lepers, I just think they have a disease, Jesus cures them. Cool. I put it in the uh, outdated problems from the first century category, and I just move on. Um, But leprosy is now called Hansen's disease, and it's still prevalent. Um, The stigma of being given the title leper only grew in strength over the past 2,000 years. I'll refer to the people 
in this story as lepers, but uh, a more sensitive way to describe it is people with Hansen's disease um, in our day. And I want to describe leprosy really quickly without getting graphic, just so we have an idea of what we're reading about and the need and the healing that these lepers receive. So in the Bible, leprosy is a catch-all for skin diseases. Um, You're regarded as ritually unclean and living under a divine curse. And this is not a long-forgotten disease today, like I said. There were 54 cases in the U.S. last year. 16 million leprosy patients were cured in the past 20 years around the world. Some of the symptoms include nerve damage that creates dangerous loss of feeling across the body, blindness, paralysis, severe pain, and several other painful skin problems. So this makes us see these, this group of people uh, in a different light, I think. Helps us slow down a little bit. Neil White wrote a book called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts. I'm not going to go too much into this, but he's a a white male from Mississippi, and he gets uh, arrested for bank fraud. And he gets sent to this jail that um, was once the only leper colony in the United States. This is in the 90s. And they turned this leper colony, once medication had caught up and uh, people with leprosy could... uh, be amongst the people and be healed. They turn this into a hybrid uh, prison and leper colony because the people with leprosy there wanted to stay. They had formed such a strong community that they wanted to stay. And so Neil White gets sent to this prison not having any idea what this is, and his life is completely transformed by what he sees in these people with leprosy. Um, They have this abundant thankfulness and gratitude every day, and he just wants that. So I recommend you read that book. I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but it's, it's fascinating. So turning back to verse 13, we start to see how this life of gratitude is possible. Somehow this group of, G- of lepers know who Jesus is, or at least have heard news of what he's been doing, so they ask him for mercy and for healing. Jesus immediately tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. Going to the priests was basically like going to the DMV for a a smog check. Uh, The DMV has no ability to actually fix your car if it fails the test. They just simply say your car passes or it doesn't. If it passes, your car can be driven on the street again. But if it fails, you have to get it fixed or you can't drive it. The priests in the temple would either say, You're cleansed of leprosy. Go and offer the sacrifice that's commanded of you and rejoin your community, your friends, your family. Or they judge that you're not yet cleansed and you continue living as an outcast. They're not able to heal, nor are people sent to them for healing. Part of their job is just verifying these cleanliness laws. So in verse 14, it says, And as as they went, they were cleansed. And if you're part of Luke's original audience, uh, you're Jewish. Up to this point in the story, you're thinking another group of lepers gets healed from Jesus, by Jesus. Seen this before, that's great. Like, Jesus is a great guy. But as you read this, as they read this, their attention freezes. 
in verse 15. And just imagine you're this group getting this, this gospel from Luke for the first time. It says, verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Then we just pause for a second. Now he was a Samaritan, and that's just a bombshell. Samaritans were not part of the Jewish people. They were considered outsiders. So Luke is basically saying, I got you. You thought you were the one in the story who came back to Jesus, but you're actually the part of the group that walked away. Unlike the nine others who presumably went to the temple to be declared clean, the lone Samaritan, an outsider on every level, recognizes the healing power of God manifested in Jesus. The Samaritan drops to Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and by doing so declares the lordship of the one whom he is now before. One commentator said um, that although all ten lepers called out to Jesus as master, only one demonstrated that he knew Jesus as one who had authority and power. You would expect all ten lepers to come running back to Jesus, just like the Samaritan, to turn to him instead of going to the temple. But they don't. Instead, it's the foreigner. Their lack of gratitude of not identifying the source of their healing and giving thanks to Jesus essentially condemns them. The Jews are the ones who should have had a posture of gratitude toward God all along. They should be the ones most open to responding to Jesus because of their rich heritage. But you might say, well, didn't they have faith by asking Jesus for healing? knowing that he could heal them? This is true, but they wrongly believe that God would simply work through this man, Jesus, to bring them healing. One commentator says, quote, they request from Jesus a merciful visitation from God. Jesus is just some kind of prophet who can heal. They're not identifying him as God. So back in Luke 6 and in many other places of the Bible, Jesus' mercy extends to everyone, including the ungrateful. What Jesus is looking for, above everything else, is a response to his mercy. He's looking for thankfulness. The nine lepers who went to the temple are distinguished not from the mercy they received from Jesus, but by their inability to perceive by faith that Jesus was the one doing the healing. Their ingratitude toward Jesus says everything. They were thankful for healing, but they were content with only that. They wanted the healing, but not Jesus. They wanted temporary relief and a minute back into society, but not Jesus. We might say that they had an attitude of gratitude, like the New York Times author says but not true gospel gratitude. The Samaritan, on the other hand, understands that Jesus is the walking embodiment of God's mercy. In faith, he praises God by gratefully submitting to Jesus, honoring him as master and Lord of his life. Jesus recognizes the faith. <clears throat> Here we go. 
Jesus recognizes the faith of the Samaritan because he came to know who Jesus was, God in the flesh. And not only that he had faith and believed he could heal him, but he responded. He turned around, fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave thanks. He didn't go back to the temple. He realized he had true cleansing and freedom in Jesus. So Jesus transformed his life forever. And gratitude transforms with the gospel. Gospel gratitude enables a posture of worship and thanksgiving throughout every day of our lives for the mercies given to us by God. So when Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, he is saying, come to me. I am the walking embodiment of the temple. I am worthy of your praise and thanksgiving. I am the true priest who will cleanse you from your sin and wash you white as snow. I will always accept you no matter what. So we see that the foreigner received Jesus through faith and gave thanks where it was rightly due. He knew where the healing came from and wasn't ready to leave with only the healing. He wanted to be in the presence of the healer. He wanted to thank him before anything else. The temple no longer mattered. So what happened to this man after he praised Jesus? He rose and went his way. <clears throat> but by his ingratitude, but by his gratitude towards Jesus, his life transformed. And we're going to look at that, look at what happened. How was he transformed and why was it so important in his life? So now we're in point two, which will move a bit quicker. So back to that article I was reading about, talking about. Does an attitude of gratitude transform your life? It's a good question. You might start sleeping better as you lift, list the five things that you're thankful for every week. The New York Times author, though, uh, says that in the end, if everything is miserable, if you're sitting at the table with your extended family at Christmas and everything is just terrible, you can channel Monty Python and be grateful that at least you're not dead. After all, the author says that it's just a matter of perspective. But for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, life isn't just a matter of perspective that we can manipulate anytime we want. We know what life is really like and how hard it is to be grateful because life is hard. Yet if you've responded to Jesus with gratitude by faith, there is always an opportunity to give thanks even in the, in the midst of incredible loss or hardship. In fact, if you're a Christian, we're actually commanded to give thanks. It's part of being a Christian. First Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But what does this look like? Here's one example. There's a group of psalms classified as lament psalms. Um, that demonstrate gratitude transformed by the gospel. Um, it, it demonstrates that uh, in the midst of suffering and loss. So if you have a Bible, we don't do this often here, but if you have a Bible and you want to open it or get your phone out, get your electronic Bible going, uh, turn to Psalm 13. You can find the Psalms. It's in the middle of the Bible if you just open it right down the middle. And we're going to look at Psalm 13.
read it. <clears throat> How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is an incredible testimony to the gospel. This is gratitude amidst a really tough, hard life. The author of this psalm sees the ugly circumstances that he's in, and he's honest about it. He feels like he's been abandoned by God, and he asks God to respond, or he fears he's going to die. But then there's a turn. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. The writer recalls the steadfast love of God towards him. By recalling God's love and thanking him for his salvation, his heart rejoices in the grace of God, and he's able to see that, in fact, God has dealt bountifully with him. The faith of this psalm's author in the grace and mercy of God transforms his downcast soul to singing because he knows he will never lose God's steadfast love. He knows that whether he lives or dies, he will be with God forever. So that's just one example. This is... I love the Psalms. So back to Luke 17. Receiving, receiving Christ's mercy and praising him for it is the beginning of gospel gratitude. The leper not only gets healed, he turns back to Jesus and lays at his feet in a heap of thanksgiving. Jesus highlights the Samaritan because he has transforming faith in him. Faith is acknowledging Jesus. Faith in Jesus enables you to turn away from the culture, your group of friends you've been around for years, to experience real joy and healing and freedom. The Samaritan has faith in Christ as the one who took away not only his disease but also his sin by his mercy alone. It is the leper's faith that truly makes him well. Jesus isn't healing him twice when it says in verse 19, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. This is something altogether different than from what happened to the other nine lepers. When Jesus says your faith has made you well, it kind of sounds like a pat on the back or just a nice saying from Jesus to this guy who thanked him. But the original language actually shows us that made you well means something more like a complete transformation. This man is made new in Christ by his thanks and his faith in Christ. The verb even relates to the Greek word we get for salvation. So this is significant. So what does it look like to live on a gospel-less gratitude? Look at the other nine lepers. They may have been healed of leprosy, but they left Jesus with their true disease unchecked. They went to the wrong people to say thank you, essentially. And we thank God for a good job or promotion or spouse. But if we're satisfied with just those things, we're missing out. 
If we don't recognize that it is God alone who is giving us these things, we go through life with our spiritual leprosy eating away at us because of our misplaced gratitude. The nine other lepers were content with what God gave them out of his mercy. But they, what they really needed was the saving work of Jesus on the cross for their sin. Eternal thanksgiving, instead they chose eternal ingratitude. They missed the opportunity to know the person who could have given them a reason for praise even in the midst of incredible suffering. Someone who would give them praise without physical healing and while still being an outcast in the eyes of their society. Nancy DeMoss is another author uh, who wrote a book called Choosing Gratitude, which I recommend. I think Glenn would recommend that too. It's one of those books where you open it and you, you get cut to the heart every time you open it. It's one of those books you just, you don't want to read it because you know if you read it, it's just going to challenge you and hurt and but it's good for that. Um, So I have a quote from her. I want to talk about it. This is about misplaced gratitude. She says, The problem with Christless gratitude is this. Nice as it is, it's out of context. It's gratitude that generically tosses its thanksgivings into the air, not sure if they should be directed toward good luck, good breaks, good fortune, or the good Lord, sensing the need to to thank someone or something for making life not as bad as it might possibly be, we sincerely log these thoughts in a notebook or share them with friends, feeling good about feeling grateful. We have a vague awareness that we're part of something greater than mere human existence, yet we are not ready or not willing to declare that this something greater is a personal creator and savior. Maybe a higher power, but not usually the God of the Bible, and and certainly not the Lord Jesus Christ. So while we can commend the practice of generalized gratitude, like the New York Times author, being glad to have friends and family members with a positive outlook on life, we cannot as believers be content to consider it sufficient for ourselves, not when there's a level of gratitude that offers us so much more than merely, merely feeling good about how things are going, end quote. So if you're hearing this and you're agreeing with this author and you want this new level of gratitude but you have not received it yet, the answer is here in Scripture. If you want your life transformed by gratitude, you need to recognize that it's Christ who is the something greater not yourself or anything else that you want to attribute thanks to. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Know this, we are actually thankful for our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God is the author and perfecter of even our faith. We give God all the credit for our faith. Our believing in Christ's work on the cross is an incredible gift. It's a mystery how our free will and God's 
work of salvation work in tandem, but that doesn't mean we can't be thankful for it because we don't understand it. Here's some encouragement uh, if you're a believer in Christ. A lot of times we feel like we're part of the crowd who would rather take the healing and leave, not turning around and giving thanks. Or we actually think we're the one to thank. How many times during the day do we do the opposite of give thanks? I know I struggle with this. It's not hard. But there's good news even if we relate more to the lepers who walked away than the one who returned. The Holy Spirit is actually working in our hearts to make us aware of our ingratitude. By the Spirit's power through Scripture, we can acknowledge our sinful habits and turn again to Jesus in praise and thanksgiving. God alone can give you a heart that recognizes the innumerable blessings that he pours out on you every day. So we ask God for the mercy to see his hand at work in our lives. And if we trust in Christ and we feel the need to repent of our spirit of ingratitude, this is a wonderful sign that the spirit is actually alive in us. So we don't doubt our faith, our salvation, when we recognize our ingratitude, our sin, because that is exactly where God wants to work. So here I go. I'm closing this up. 6.15. Nancy DeMoss again says that gratitude is the anthem of heaven. In Revelation, it says the angels are giving thanks to God day and night. I like that image of heaven, just celebrating, giving thanks. So consider gratitude as a benchmark for your spiritual health. This passage presents us with a pressing question. Will we respond to God's mercy and gifts in praise to him alone? Or will we continue on our way and thank someone or something else? If you spend a few minutes reflecting this past year on maybe your new job or your new baby or um, something good, give thanks to God for it. But if your past year was hard and you suffered, your chronic illness never went away or came back, right where we acknowledge our need for gratitude and our total weakness, when we're broken down, that is where Christ wants to plant a harvest of thanksgiving. The outcast Samaritan leper was transformed by the one who became an outcast for us on the cross. Jesus was forsaken by God the Father on the cross, totally rejected by his friends and culture, and took that experience upon himself so that we could have life. Jesus reaches his destination at the end of Luke's gospel to die on a cross outside the city gates to take our sin and ingratitude upon himself that we might finally live with gospel gratitude. There is only one person in this world who has ever lived a life, an entirely grateful life, and that's Jesus. 
And by putting our faith in Jesus, he gives us that life of gratitude. And yet, since we still live in this world, we need constant reminders of Christ's gift to us. We have to regain our thankfulness over and over until Christ returns or he calls us home. That's why we come to the Lord's table every Sunday here, and I'm so thankful for that. Coming to the Lord's table is essentially an embodiment of gospel gratitude. This is where we both give thanks to Jesus and receive renewed mercy from him. We're giving thanks because Jesus Christ has cleansed us from our sin forever. We're giving thanks because on account of Christ Jesus, we are made new. We're giving thanks because God took our guilt and judgment and put it on Jesus because he loves us and he wants us to be with him for eternity. We're giving thanks because Jesus Christ lives and we will one day be made new in both body and spirit and join him in praise. This is why when you become a member of this church, I think it's in the email you get before you do participate in communion uh, when you help uh, or it's on the card that says, smile, this is a celebration. Um, and you're, if you've looked at that and you're like, why, why does it say that? This is why, because it's, it's thankfulness. We come here and we are smiling, um, maybe not outwardly if we're really struggling or suffering, but in our hearts, we experience the joy of God's salvation and restoration. It's hard not to be thankful when you come to communion. So the Lord's table is the time when we give thanks to Jesus for everything he has done for us out of his mercy alone. When we drink the cup and eat the bread by faith, we're reminded of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. By God's grace, through faith in Christ, we are given a renewed sense of gratitude every time we hear the gospel and receive this good news at the Lord's table. So remind yourself and your friends and your neighbors of this good news every day and give thanks. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the table. We thank you for faith. Please be with us this night. In Jesus' name, amen.